I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing changemakers and culture shifters who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Good Ancestor Podcast. Today, I'm in conversation with one of my beloveds, one of my dear sister friends, Latham Thomas. Latham Thomas, or as you may know her, Glow Maven, is a celebrity wellness lifestyle maven and birth doula who is transforming not only how women give birth to their babies, but how they give rise to the best versions of themselves. Named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, Latham is helping women embrace optimal wellness and spiritual growth as a pathway to owning their power. She is the founder of Mama Glow, a lifestyle brand and highly regarded website and women's center in Brooklyn, New York, which offers inspiration, education, and holistic services for expectant and new mothers. Mama Glow also boasts a doula immersion program that is globally recognized and is attended by women from all corners of the USA and from six continents around the world. A graduate of Columbia University, Latham serves on the Tufts University Nutrition Council, as well as their board for entrepreneurship. She is also a two-time best-selling author. Her highly anticipated second book, Own Your Glow, A Soulful Guide to Luminous Living and Crowning the Queen Within, debuted on September 26, 2017, and is currently in its fourth reprint. Latham also released her first meditation album with Sounds True back in April of 2018 called Meditations, Guided Meditations for Rest and Renewal. Serving clients like Alicia Keys, DJ Khaled, uh, Rebecca Minkoff, and more, Latham is shifting the conversation about birth. This incredible trailblazer is leading a revolution in radical self-care, and she's teaching women everywhere to mother themselves first. Welcome to the show, Latham. Wow, Layla, if you could be with me every time I have to be introduced, that would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't even... Thank you you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to have you. And I haven't even, you know, fangirled over how much I love you and how much you mean to me. Um, You know um, that you're a dear friend of mine. And as I was saying before we hit record on this conversation, being in conversation with you is so easy because so much, even though we do very different work, so many of our values are very aligned and the way that we approach our work is very aligned. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm, ex- I'm excited for people to listen into this conversation between two dear sister friends. Me too. It'll be like um, a peek into our group text or a chat <laughs> threads, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let's let's kick off with our first question, Latham. Um, and I'm really interested to hear your answers on this as well, because I know that um, ancestral traditions, rituals um, are very important to you. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to know who are some of the ancestors, living or transitioned, familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey? Mm, 
This is such a beautiful question and one that I believe that uh, I have so many answers, but what I will say is I feel um, guided every single day by the presence of my grandmother who passed in uh, 2017 on September the 12th. Um, thankfully, I was able to be a part of her transition journey um, back home and to be able to support her in ways that she supported all of us um, when she was living. And so um, she's someone who, in her grace and her eloquence and her beauty and in her presence, would show up. And as a Sagittarius, and I have Sag Moon, um, she was always moving and on the go and always looking to explore and learn and travel. Even when she was really sick, she would still travel. And so um, she really inspires me to not only um, move, but in, into different places to see new things and to grow, but also to travel within myself and to um, take journeys uh, through, this, through the soul, mm. right? And mm -hmm. I feel really moved by that. And I know that she's definitely helping to order my steps and to clear pathways for me um, on the other side. I know that there are some things that are happening that are through her grace, you know, in, in, in her, um, in her glory, you know? So I'm just, I'm just really moved by her and, and I wear something of hers every single day, usually a scarf or, or, um, a hairpin or something that she, left behind for me uh, so for for me it's my grandmother and I believe so powerfully that you know the maternal lineage um, that we connect to there's so much power there's so much pain and uh, and sacrifice and um, and there's wisdom in our maternal lineage that we need to all tap into to find power especially when we feel at our most weak we can remember that there are women who came before us who did so much more, who had to go through so much more to make space for us. And so I feel that I can do the things that I do today um, because I am empowered and also uh, inside of me is restored power from the ancestors that guide me. And so I always feel like when I walk through a door, I'm not by myself. It's like we're walking through the door. It's all of us, meaning the people who've made a path for me, but the people who come before me, we all come through together. So I'm always, um, I'm always with someone. I'm never really alone, even though a lot of this journey, as you know, that we've taken, Layla, is, is to be taken alone, right? A lot of the work that we do is, is work that, Nobody can be alongside us as we do it, and we're unfolding and uncovering aspects of the work and of and of ourselves that has to be done alone. A lot of this work has to be done in in darkness, has to be done in silos, has to be done in in spaces where you wish there was someone there, but to to fully go through, you have to be alone, right? And it's like when you we think about the great leaders, we think about even like Jesus being by himself for 40 days, right? It's like, we have to do that a lot of the time. A lot of our work is on our own and we feel like we might be fasting or we feel like we might be going through some 
um, some spaces that lead us towards transformation, um, we don't get to do that always through moments of kumbaya and <laughs> feeling like lifted and supported, in, except for from afar, right? Mm. And so I feel like in these times that feel really challenging, where I have to do things that, um, you know, really test my spirit and my spiritual fitness, it's, it's through the, the connection that I have to, um, to spirit and to my ancestry and to, um, you know, to, to this higher power that animates us all that carries me through. And that's how I know I'm never alone. Even when I'm singularly one person doing something that feels insurmountable, I know that I'm being carried by the people and the energy that spun me into being. Wow. Um, that just, yeah, <laughs> just activated something really deep within me. And I know that we, we, you and I met just a little while before your, your grandmother passed. And I remember um, witnessing, um, witnessing you honoring her. Um, her, you know, I still remember her pictures, you know, and her spirit mm. was a really, she shone really brightly. Um, but it was also so beautiful because I remember at that time, your book was just about to debut and, you know, you were able to share that with her just as it was coming into being. Um, it's so easy for us to forget as we're on this path of, um, uh, trailblazing or leading or on a journey of doing work where it feels like we're alone, but it matters to us. It's so easy to forget that there were others who have come before us who have cleared the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, and what yeah. you've, what you've spoken to feels really, um, both like uplifting and grounding to me. This idea that I can get inspiration from my ancestors who've come before me. And also when I walk into any setting, especially in a time where I might feel nervous or um, unsure of myself that, you know, Oprah speaks about this. I don't, I, when I walk into a space, I'm not just, it's not just me, right? I'm coming with all mm -hmm. the hundreds of ancestors who are coming um, behind me and standing with me. And my Angelou spoke about this as well. That is so grounding mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think it's I think it's really important to feel um anchored in what is what was and what's becoming right mm -hmm. and so often we're focused I mean western focus is always on what's to be right like we can never we can never just sit in in celebration of what is and we never really want to visit what was, right? Mm -hmm. But we're focused on what's becoming and 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 trying to um, manipulate it, right? Instead of really examining what was and reveling and celebrating and also examining what is, and then you know, in a in an act of um, I think reverence as well as of of grace, like spinning into being what is to become with, um, with, with a different set of uh, lenses, a different point of view than just one of um, 
like, how can I get here? And what's mm-hmm. on the other side and trying to manipulate. And, and I think that, um, you know, our culture really does focus so much on like, let's manifest this thing into being instead of, okay, there's a path and there's a way forward. Um, and there's one that really encourages ease. And there's one that also, um, you know, is, is mapped in a way that when we uncover in ourselves these points of, um, of real transformation, that there's a completely different outcome waiting, right? And so I think that um, a lot of what I'd like to support people into doing is to uncover that side, right? To look at something that's different, to like turn our focus to something new, not just on what we can see um, physically on the outside, but, you know, or what we can see is um, visible and tangible in its results, but something that we can feel inside of our bones and something that we know even when we can't see it. And attune that energy because that energy really sustains us, right? When we're in these moments where we feel challenged and if we focus all of our energy on um, outcome and results and how something should be, we really miss so much of the the journey and these lessons and what's in store for us. And so, um, and this is really always um, a lesson because I see it so much in the birth process, right? Like all of the work that we do to support women is in an unfolding that's happening in darkness, right? Like a baby that's growing or babies that are growing in a womb space that is dark and that is protected. And we, there's so many things happening on a moment to moment basis, right? Like we know that in every single second, there's 800 trillion corrections that are happening through the body, right? Mm. 800 trillion every second. (laughs) So it's like, there are things that are happening that you will never be able to see and quantify, but that's magic, right? And mystery. And there's science, but there's a lot of magic, right? And so mm-hmm. if we can lean into magic and if we can, you know, celebrate that there are a lot of things that we can't explain, but that also count, there's a lot of things that count that cannot be counted, that we don't have metric for, yeah. but that we know. And I think we need to lean into our knowing more strongly. I would, I would love that for our future. I would love that for our youth because it's really important in times like these, right? To, to be able to, to hold on to something that doesn't necessarily have form. Mm. And I'm wondering, um, and I'm guessing this is why, but you know, so much of your work is around birth. Birth is Mm -hmm. a, uh, like we see, okay, the physical, you know, manifestations of, you know, the, the um, stages of birth, but also so much of it is unknown. Uh, so much of it, you can plan, you know, I've had two children, you can plan all the things perfectly of how you think it's going to go, but it's going to go how it's going to go. Um, yes. And I feel like there's so many lessons in there, just as you've spoken about so many lessons in there about um, control and trust and faith and vulnerability. Um, it's been really beautiful for me to witness your, your um, 
work growing as you're doing this doula immersion program. I've seen many of your doula babies, your cohorts going through this incredible, <laughs> incredible program. I feel very moved every time I see video clips of the kind of training work that you're doing. Um, it's, it's clear that you're using... Um, and I know you talk about this in your book, Own Your Glow, as well. A lot of uh, sort of ancestral practices and um, ways of supporting women. Um, but it, it, it's like this work that you do, which is in these intimate moments with individual uh, 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 women and people who are giving birth, have so much to teach us about how to be in the world. Yes. Yes. You know, it's so interesting because when we're in the immersion, it's what people realize when they're there is that we're not only there to learn how we can be better support for women, how we can learn to advocate and help women across this threshold into new motherhood, but also how we can return home to ourselves, how we can reclaim our bodies as sacred, how we can claim a space of healing and lean into that, how we can step into a new aspect of ourselves, how we can hold a new conversation about our bodies. Like it is so many things, but one of the biggest pieces I think as well is that we learn how to be more human, right? We learn how to communicate, how to listen, how to hold space, how to anticipate needs, how to, be right and the work is so connected to um you know being present in any aspect of a person's life at any life transition whether you are um, going through menses you know menarch and becoming a woman right like you want to feel seen you want someone to support you someone to hold you you know, you want to learn how to care for yourself when you bleed, right? Like we need support then. We need support obviously moving through the transition of pregnancy into new motherhood. We need support when we become mothers and we're born into motherhood. We need support when we go through a challenge like divorce or um, a new work or um, career path. We need support when we're writing a book. We need support when we're writing a screenplay, birthing a ballet. We need support when we are, um, you know, yeah, like going through divorce or going through um, transition to, you know, the afterlife. Like whatever these transitions are, we need the buffering presence of another person or community to support us right? Mm -hmm. Lost, right? Like we, we never think about, um, and I think so much of our culture, we're, we're so focused obviously on moving away from feelings. And I love this new generation that is like so leaning into feelings and their music is about feelings, right? And, and just, um, you know, not only acknowledging them, but like being in their feelings, right? Because so much of the focus in our culture is to um, modulate any feeling that we have, right? Like if there's a feeling coming up, I can subvert it with medication. If there's a, you know, feeling coming up, I can 
drink alcohol or I can take a drug or I can do something to manipulate what the sensation so that I don't have to feel, right? Um, if there's a feeling coming up, I can go shopping or I can, you know, have sex or I can do all these things that keep me from actually like sitting with what's coming up for myself, right? Mm -hmm. I can go through so many pathways of distraction so I don't have to feel. And, and what birth actually really teaches us is that this is a pathway of feeling, right? Like everything that we uh, enter, every doorway that we pass through along the pathway towards new motherhood lets us connect with feeling, allows us to connect with feeling, invites us to connect with feeling. And so we are deeply um, uh, responsible in this phase of life to um, to hold space for women so that they can feel. We are really um, responsible to heal and and explore our own internal landscape so that we can be a presence to support someone else because a lot of people show up to the work wanting to force outcomes, wanting to manipulate a situation or other people into being the way that they want because they would like the birth to go a certain way. Right. But this is not about us, right? It's not about you. And when you enter into the space of service and being a support person, it is never about you. And so what a lot of our women learn when they come through that space is in that weekend that we have together, it is all about them, right? Like for the first time, and maybe one of the only times in many of their lives, it's all about them, right? It's all about um, unpacking, unplugging, uncovering, and awakening. Mm. And when they leave, they're fortified because everything is centered around their experience. Everything is centered around um, stories that have not been told and told in a way that is um, really nutritive. And they can now connect to something that anchors them for the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. right? That moves them and they're now in a community. And so what we know also is that we gathered as women for millennia in circles. And so the circle feels supportive to us. It feels safe to us. It feels, um, we recognize it, right, as a, as a safe space. And so as a, as a primal um, space of, of connectivity, we can, we can move into a circle and our nervous system starts to relax. And we start to respond in a positive way and stress hormones start to level out. And now we can like allow happy hormones to flood our bloodstream. Even sometimes hormones of excitement start to show up because we feel now safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is what we want to, to encourage and to inspire and to support women through, right? Mm -hmm. Like safety and they're safe. And so we, we foster an environment that is replicated in spaces that we support women through childbirth, right? And so the environment that we create for the women to transform, to go through these portals of transformation in a weekend together, 
is a similar environment that we create for, for women who are moving through birth. And so to me, that's really important. And to, to do that with the tools that we have that are ancestral, that are hardwired, and to create that, that space of safety through ritual and to do something that's not being done because we are not in a classroom when, when people come to our space, right. right? They're not coming for, they're coming for lessons, but it's not like a traditional Western classroom setting, right? It's a sanctuary that they're coming into, right? They're coming in to do spirit and soul work. And yes, there is a lot of practical learning and there's a lot of science and there's a lot of evidence-based research, but there's also a lot of ethereal and magic and mystery and wisdom of the ages that come through us as well as inspiration. And so it's, um, it's a transformative experience for everyone who comes. And I'm always nurtured and so full afterwards. And so are all of our, you know, supporting um, teachers who come in and bring their wisdom. It is like, it's so fulfilling for all of us to, to nurture and then to watch and see what happens Mm. when you plant, right. When you plant seed and you lay um, soil and you water and you put, let sunshine come through there's magic that happens, right? We understand how plants grow, but it's magical, right? From yeah. a seed to a plant. Right. And and what I've witnessed in you, Latham, is you're very intentional in setting up that space in that way for that to come into. Um, I'm really curious for you personally, as the person who is holding that space, right, who has called it in, called these people in, has set the intention that this is what I want to create, this is what I want um, to, yeah, to hold space for, what um, practices do you do to prepare yourself for that? That's such a great question. Um, For me, there's a methodical approach to the weekends. And so sometimes the weekends are back to back and um, rarely, but sometimes they are. And in that time frame, I'm like not reachable for those two weeks, you know, yeah. um, leading up. Yeah, but I, what can, I, would I can say, vouch for that. You disappear and I'm like, she's doing her doula thing. I don't <laughs> yeah, I totally disappear. And, um, and, and part of that is because I need to go underground. I need to, and I'm a tourist, so we love grounding. For us, it's really important to be on the ground, right? And so for me, anchoring myself, being quiet, uh, shutting off um, any distractions, you know, like I'm not on social media as much. I, I think I used to be more committed to posting more frequently and um, you know, as of late, I've, I've been less so I just, you know, I go on and then I kind of get out of there, but, um, I will just disappear. Right. And so, um, my commitment is to the doula community and to, um, myself to make sure that I'm charged up enough to carry people for an entire weekend. And leading up to that means that I have to set up a space for them we have to have all of our materials and everything. And so for me, like there's a, a way that I go about that. There's a ritual that I go about setting the room and, um, 
you know, charging the space and clearing the space, uh, the music that we're going to have, the, um, the everything, like the, the scents, you know, we do incense, we do diffusers with essential oils, there's candles, there's a configuration with flowers, like all of these things um, are, are considered, right, and, and set in, in, in advance. And so, um, and then how we configure the room, you know, is, is also like, I mean, all of it is channeled, right? But now there's a system. And so I go about it in a certain way, but I definitely go to bed early. I definitely get my rest. Um, I'm super committed to, you know, making sure that in those, those days before that, there's just like no distraction. So mm-hmm. I'm not as plugged in with my family. Like I do, I'll cook dinner and all these things, but I'm really like, you know, I, I'm not as social. I'll pull away um, and, and spend a lot of my time just like, you know, with self and in preparation. Um, and then I would say, because we really try to, mostly do the trainings on full and new moon weekends, then I'm busy working with the crystals and all the energy that anchors the space and that's surrounding the space uh, in those moments, right? Whether it's the full or the new moon and the pool that we have. I'm also very interested in what type of energy supports us celestially while we are in the space, right? And so Mm -hmm. Um, where we are uh, on the cycle really also um, informs the energy of the room and of the experience altogether. So, um, and what time of year it is too, right? Like the summer is a completely different energy than when we have our winter trainings. And so, so I'm very uh, attuned to all of that. And I would say the biggest piece though, is to, um, you know, to, to spend time, in silence, to spend time in surrender, to spend time in um, really just uh, in my personal self-care practice, right? And mm. and that means going to bed early, reading, and then resting my eyes, like not, you know, talking on the phone, not spending time with people, not going out at night, just like rest. Mm. And I find that that really fortifies me, you know, eating well, getting outside to get fresh air and we you know in the in the lunch period a lot of the doulas want to stay and we're like no go outside even if you you know are fasting because some people are fasting depending on the time of the year and stuff and we're like just even if you're if you even if you're fasting please go outside get fresh air walk you know move this stuff through your body because a lot of what we do is really um it's an intense weekend right and it's right. Um, so people need to get fresh air. So I make sure that I get out and I get fresh air and I'm, you know, um, spending time where I'm not answering questions and, you know, where I'm just like alone and I have like my quiet time. I definitely have support through the weekend, which is great. And, um, and I make sure that, you know, like somebody's making sure that I'm fed and hydrated Mm -hmm. and all these things. So that's really, really helpful as well. But yeah, I, I really make sure to, um, to take some time and then there's meditation. We always open with meditation. We always close, you know, in, in a certain way with the ritual um, we have culminating rituals throughout. And so there's a lot that I feel like um, 
helps helps to ground me throughout the training because it's built in, right? For out for all of us. But in a, in lead up, it's really just like I have to take that time. I have to just like you know really retreat. And to me, retreat is um, is juicy. You know, like I know that so many of us think about, oh my god, I'm gonna like log off, and that sounds frightening. But I think if we if we really look at it in a different way and think about retreat as um, recharging, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when you plug your phone into the wall, you know what I mean? And leave it there. That's retreat, you know, instead of like texting from it while it's plugged in, like leave it, <laughs> go do something else. Let your phone be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let it actually charge. Like that's retreat. It's like I plug myself in, you know, into the universe. I plug myself in to, to spirit. And, and I just let myself charge up. You know what I mean? I don't let nobody tap into me, get, you know, take anything from me, ask me for things. No, like I'm, I'm plugged into the wall right now, like my iPhone, right? I'm plugged into um, the spirit realm. So let me be, and I'll see you when I emerge. You know, what I really am struck by, Latham, is you use the word um, commitment. You said, I'm really committed to, and then you started speaking about your processes. And as we're, you know, exploring this idea of what it means to be a good ancestor. So many of the people that I'm interviewing on this podcast are doing work that is change-making, that is culture-shaping. And really, if we really boil it down, I think what we're all really doing is work that is about healing and transformation, right? And Mm -hmm. I think it's so important, as you've said, to have that commitment to, if I'm going to be doing this work out in the world, and I, and I say that that's what I'm, that's my purpose, that's what I'm committed to, that's what I'm here to be, that I have to make sure that I am going to be my best self, right? So you use the, the yeah. analogy, the analogy of the, um, the phone, like the phone is not going to be able to serve us if it's on 1%, right? Right. <laughs> it needs to be at 100% so that for the time that we need it, it works and we don't have to worry that it's going to short or it's going to, you know, shut down. And so I'm just really, um, yeah, I was just really struck by this commitment to, I have to make sure that before any of the stuff begins out in the external world, all this stuff that I said, I want to do it. I'm committed to it. I want to show up for these people that first and foremost, it begins with me. Yeah, a hundred percent. We have to do that, right? And because we also know that many of us have so many layers that we have to peel back right. of other stuff that shows up on a day-to-day basis that like hinders the work or that really challenges us <laughs> yeah. in, in being able to achieve what we're put on this planet to do. And so we have to peel back all of that stuff too. So it's like um, to, to really be able to show up in the way that you want the work, ha- like the work has to get done. So it's not even about like, you know, um, I think people will, if you think about like work in a, um, an office setting, for instance, right? Like, yes. Um, you know, sleep is necessary. Some people can get away without it. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, eating well necessary, a lot of people get away without doing that. But when you're holding people emotionally and they're showing up with things that they've been carrying 
from their great, 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 great grandmother. Right. When you're holding people who come into a space who are holding on to trauma that they've never spoken, when you are holding space for people who have had traumatic birth, when you're holding space for people who have um, never felt worthy of um, living even, but never felt that they were capable of doing something for themselves or capable of service or, or worthy of just even being in a space with other women, right? That they deserve to be there. Like you have to show up with more tools than just like I slept well and I ate well. I mean, it it requires so much more. And so that's why when we talk about these things that we cannot see, it's like, there's a lot that happens when we talk about energy. It, we can see how it plays out. We don't see, um, we don't physically see it. We can see, you know, obviously there's aura and there's um, uh, energy fields where you can feel vibration, right? You can feel how something affects you. But a lot of this is operating in a realm where our visible, you know, field doesn't, you know, serve us. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like fortifying ourselves spiritually that's going to protect us. And so it's like people have to discover for themselves what that is. And I think that um, so many care providers and so many people who are teaching are not tapping into these tools, right? They're teaching from, you know, textbooks or they're teaching from experience, but they're not teaching from the soul body. And if you are not teaching people from that place, and if you are not helping people to uncover and un um, and unpack for themselves what's blocking that channel of, of self uh, discovery and of um, self affirmation and uh, self determination and connection really to like a hardwired connection to the spirit world and the spiritual side of themselves. Um, it's really challenging when you enter spaces where, uh, where faith is really required. Right. So that is what we also strive to do is whatever someone's background is, whatever faith they aspire to, whatever, um, you know, whatever makes them feel like they are human. We can we can plug into that wherever without even touching religion. Right. We can plug into that because that energy is what animates us. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we use that as a through line, right, to, to keep everybody sourced, to keep right. everybody tapped in, then, then everyone's fed, right? So it's like if I lay that as a foundation, then everybody will do well, including myself. So, right. um, so, so that's really important, right? So that we don't just stay in the head, but we get into the body and then that the body can help us to, to keep our spirit pathways open so that everybody leaves with, with, you know, their, their souls are fed, right? So it's, it's like soul food right throughout the weekend. It's just mm-hmm. spiritual soul food, obviously on top of, you know, the lessons and the information and the, the transmission of, of, of um, information and energy and experience, but 
but it's it's to really nurture us, right? And mm. and a lot of us have primal wounds that need healing before we can be of service to other people. And that is critically important for me is that people come in and do their healing work and continue that when they leave. Right. But that they can do that before they start laying on hands on people right. who who need them to really be of utmost service. And and there is um such a huge difference um, between being served in this kind of healing transformation works, being served and being helped, you know, someone holding space for you who is, you know, doing, has done and continues to do their work versus someone who has got the information, as you said, in the head intellectually, but hasn't moved it down into their body. Um, yeah. And, I, and, and it takes discernment to know the difference, um, mm-hmm. but the impact can be, I mean, it's wildly different. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's like the difference between in the me and white supremacy work, someone who understands the information intellectually. Okay, I understand this is what white privilege is. I understand this is what tone policing is. I just, you know, I understand, but they haven't connected to, and this is how it plays out with me. Yes, you know that's so powerful that you said that because. This book, Me and White Supremacy, for me, is like, it's almost like this has to be the doorway through which everyone passes that wants to be in the world doing anything that has to do with healing, that has to do with personal growth, with help, like whatever it is, because I cannot tell you how many people are working in this field that are so blinded, that think they're so good, that think that they're doing such good work. And yes and no, right? Yes, you are. But if you could uncover and unpack and really look at um, unintentional harm that's being done because you won't have the, you do not maybe have the um, humility to download this book, right? Because you think that you have it figured out because you made a take, you may have taken like a critical race theory class in college or something, but that is not enough. Right. <laughs> like, this is not enough, right? Like, I think it's so important for, for people to do this work and find for themselves, um, a language for moving through the world that that allows them to be in allyship, that allows them to be in service and support and in humanity with people of color right. and, and marginalized people globally. Because this, ha- like we see the, we see and feel the real impact of white supremacy and the medical system and how our medical system was founded in how um, the work of African women who were slaves, who were serving women, birthing babies on slave ships on their way over here, who had to get here unshackled show up in a foreign land to continue to do the work 
right? Continued to birth babies, birth the slave owners' babies, right? We had to breastfeed slave owner babies. And then we had to also take care of our ancestors, I should say we, but our ancestors had to take care of also the men, even if there weren't doctors around, right? Mm -hmm. And the foundational work that they did in midwifery, the granny midwives, really was studied by male obstetricians when obstetrics was a very nascent form of medicine. It was not respected at the time. And so there was all these medical journals, but guess what? They would pull information from these black granny midwives. They would study for them. And then once they studied for them and they learned all that they could, guess what they ended up doing? Erecting systems, right? To push them out. And when they pushed them out, they also created, right, accreditation. So now it's like, oh, you know, this college and this university and these women were lay midwives, right? right? So they weren't educated, quote unquote, but they had knowledge and wisdom that they passed down generationally. And so even though they had better birth outcomes, right, they were blamed for the death of, um, of some of the babies that were being born, right? They mm. were blamed for any infant mortality. They were blamed for any maternal mortality. But even though they had better outcomes than the male doctors, right? Right, right. So when, when males entered the space, and specifically, obviously, we're talking about white males because of how the system was formed, when they entered the space and then they started studying black women's bodies, right, without anesthesia, you know, forming different obstetrical um, treatments as, as well as um, uh, protocol. And then also looking at, um, we look at gynecological uh, issues that were coming up amongst some of the slave women. They had slave hospitals where these men would actually study black pathology, right, pathologies in black women so that they could cure these diseases in white women, right? Right. And so we have a very fraught history with the medical system already, right? We have, re we have real hard reasons for not to trust it, right? There's a historical framework for why there's a lack of trust that's been carried generationally. So for women to walk into a hospital now and to be of color, but specifically black, there's already embedded in the foundation of the medical system a looking at us as inferior, as our bodies as inferior, as our bodies as, you know, there's even all kinds of um, um, historical uh, documentation of how our bodies were spoken about, wow. right? Like what they said about how strong we were and how we could endure pain and, you know, um, the basically like exaggerating and talking about the, um, the things that made us superhuman, really, right? Right. And that, when you walk into a hospital today and you ask for anesthesia and nobody brings it because you're not really in pain, right? Or you walk into a hospital today and because you present a certain way, it's like, oh, she probably can't afford right? You know, maybe she doesn't have good insurance or whatever. We'll just treat her like whatever. It's like to walk into a hospital today and be a teenager or to be 
college educated or to be Serena Williams or to be Beyonce. Right. Okay. Like, and have your chances for mortality to be the same that your age doesn't protect you, that education doesn't protect you, that your financial situation doesn't protect you. That's crazy. And that we don't see that in any other population of people. In the white community, you have an increased chance for survival if you're educated. In the black community, it doesn't matter. And to have black women be three to four times more likely than white women to die during childbirth or due to childbirth-related causes in this United States, and to have that number jump to 12 times in New York City, mm. that's crazy. And for this not being national news constantly all the time tells you what we are living in, what is a priority, and how much Black women matter, right? Because yeah. if this was any other population, we would not, this would not be a discussion because we would have eradicated it, but we've seen a 25-year increase in maternal mortality for Black women, so much so that the CDC has declared a state of emergency, which means that when we declare a state of emergency, that means that um, we're talking about endangered species, right? We're talking about this number is flagrant, like we can't, like this is out of control, right? So. To me, that really means that our responsibility as doulas to be on the front line is one that we have to take really seriously. And all of the women who come have to be committed to being powerful advocates, to educating, to also be, to bear witness to bias and have tools to help them process what's happening in the moment, how they can report it, how do they advocate in the moment, how do they also process that afterwards? Because that's traumatic, right? Right. And so we need these tools for ourselves. So obviously this is part of the framework we're teaching from, but we need the white women who come into the training to also have these tools. We need them to also understand the importance, the really heavy weight that they carry of, of being advocates in, in, in being able to open doors and reach ears that we not, might not be able to reach on our own and change minds, right? We need them to, to awaken so that when they show up, they're not showing up from a place of um, being saviors, right? Like, because right. we're not asking to be saved. We're asking that you serve from a place of standing next to us, side by side, learning from us and with us and supporting us in the ways that we ask to be supported, not to be saved. Two totally different things, right? And so, you know, black women don't need to be saved, right? We've been saving everyone, right? We've been, this is what we've done historically also. So we don't really need um, anyone to come in and swoop down and, and say that they have the solution for what's going to serve us. Because what we do know is that what's happening is not our fault, yeah. right? There's a system that's failing each of us. And if we acknowledge that the system is composed not just of 
of, um, of policy, but people too, who carry out policies. Yes. And if we don't start to change how the people function in these systems, then we will continue to perpetuate the patterns and we will continue to see similar outcomes. And so for us, a huge commitment is also to educate first and second year medical students so that they can be part of the change. So I see this approach as systematic. I don't see it as just, you know, educating the doulas, but I see it as educating also the doctors and bridging a gap and creating a connection where there can be cross um, cross learning, right? Learning across, um, you know, sectors right? and being able to inform each other with what's going on in this area, what's new here, what new medical breakthroughs, what the, whatever it is. Why can't we come together in dialogue and support each other and not hear each other, not, you know, um, mistrust each other, but how can we come together and say, look, we both want the same outcomes. We want healthy moms. We want healthy babies. And we want to eradicate what we see as a huge issue and really a huge stain on our culture as Americans. Like this is not something that we should be proud of. And it's not something that we can tuck away. Mm. These are lives. And each of these lives is connected to a woman who was born with purpose. And when she passes away, the entire community is fragmented because women are the crux of community and through us, community builds. And so when a black woman dies, that is disruptive to the community. When she leaves children behind, what happened to those children? Yeah. Right. So we need to think from a different frame, not in terms of statistics, but in terms of actual people. So we share stories and we bring in people who have been impacted by the black internal health crisis so that there is a base and a to a, to a to a statistic. Right. So that there's a story that helps us to ground in what does it mean that black women are three to four times more likely in the United States to die during childbirth or due to childbirth related causes. And what does it mean that in the UK it's five times, mm. right? So we need to think about this concept of racism and anti-blackness as a global phenomenon, not something that just happens in pockets, but that there's a global structure in place and that we have to be a part of dismantling it and it cannot be done alone it has to be done with all of us showing up in our ways and 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 i say this because each of us has a tool a powerful asset that we can bring to the table and it might not be that you can write eloquently or that you speak out in a certain way or that but you might just be the person who in a, in the school that you teach in that you make sure to create a more equitable environment. Right. It might just be that if you're a massage therapist, that you say, okay, I know that there's communities that really need my service. I'm going to go into this particular community 
that's under stress and I'm going to bring my massage services. You might be in a situation where you're a real estate broker and you can see where there's inequity in, in housing and that you can do your little bit to make sure that somebody who really deserves to move into a particular building or house can get access to that. You might just be somebody who's in the birth space and says, hey, I want to do this work, but I don't really know how I'm going to be able to, you know, apply some of these tools that I'm learning through me and white supremacy to this work. Well, you know what? You don't have to go and like use your voice in a particular way or think that you're, you have to speak out. You can just do it every day Mm -hmm. in committed action. You can take steps. It does not have to be for social media, because I know a lot of people feel like, you know, I have to broadcast on social media what I'm doing. You do not, because actually it would be preferable if you just did it. You don't have to even say, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like what would be really helpful is all the people who are doing all the talking would just actually do the work because the talking does not serve. The talking is great because it creates dialogue and it does further you know, um, it furthers the, the mission, right? This mantle, it furthers the conversation, helping people grow. Absolutely. But if that's all you're doing, then we're having a different conversation, right? right. So make sure that in, in the ways that you can, that your good ancestorship includes actually doing the dismantling, right? Because there's some of our ancestors who built this thing, right, that we're trying to tear down. And it requires the people who are descendants of those ancestors to help take it down. Right. So we cannot do that on our own, right? And, and it's not fair for the people who um, have to live up under it, who are stuck underneath it, to have to try to, um, from underneath it, uh, tear, you know, tear down, or I should say, try to break through the rubble. It's mm. not fair to ask the people who are underneath it to dismantle it. That's not fair. We can do our part, but that's not fair, right? So, mm. so if we're looking at equity, you know, we're talking about everybody starting at, you know, at the same point in the race with the same tools, right? We need to look at the fact that we have such a far way to go to make sure that, that happens that what we can do now is those of us who are way ahead in the race, you can look back and be like, okay, hmm, what can I do to move some of these obstacles out of the way for those people who are on their way to where I am? Right. 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 And especially if you know that you're so far ahead because you were able to access tools that you didn't earn. So let's really lean into that. And so for people who, who, are challenged and who feel like they want to do the work, please, if you haven't already, I, I can't imagine that you're listening to this podcast and you haven't um, really dive, taken a chance to dive into me and white supremacy, but please do, because I feel that, you know, the, the folks that want to do work, that's going to impact people, that's going to connect and touch people. It, you have to pass through um, a channel, like an entry point. And to me, it's like, you know, I think about the book as the workbook, I should say, as almost like, um, you know, like a prerequisite right? right? for like how you want to move through the rest of your life. That's like a prerequisite. It's like, did you do this book? Because if you did, I think you're prepared for like some of these other conversations. Right. right. And so I want to see more of that. I would love if people who are in these spaces that are um, that are 
marginal for, for black women specifically. Um, and I mean, obviously all people, but really like we know that black women are really, you know, um, in a, in a critical point in, in a maternal health, um, you know, uh, crisis. We know that we're at like a critical mass. We have to change things right away. So we know we have to really sort, put all of our resources and energy there and that if we do so, that we'll be able to make things better for everyone. So if we are going to do that, that means that there's services that are going to touch black women that fall outside of the scope of just, a, you know, obstetrician, gynecologist, midwife, doula. There are mental health providers. There are um, therapists. There are you know, lactation consultants, acupuncture, there's a lot of people, right, who might come in contact with us. And I feel like they should also do the work. They should also do this workbook. If you haven't had a chance to do it just yet, if you're going to contact or be in connection with these communities, understand that you are underprepared unless you are, are doing the work yourself actively. Not that you're not engaging in racist activity on a day-to-day basis. But if you are not actively doing this work to uncover for yourself where you need to address some deeply rooted beliefs that you didn't even realize you were holding, if you're not doing that, you can't be a best service. And so that's why when we structure our training the way we do, it is to help unearth the things that are living inside of people that they were carrying that they need to examine so that it can be better care providers. Right. Right. So it's the same thing. It's like, why can't we see that though through the lens of race? Right. And I, and I, you know, we're, we're both sort of working in and, uh, kind of our work is emerging from the space of the wellness and spiritual and personal growth um, area. And so many people are more attracted to the kind of maybe like what you were describing in the first half of our interview, which is, you know, the sacredness and the magic and the energy and the setting space, but don't want to look at this other stuff that you started talking about in the second half of our conversation. Um, and what I love about you is that you bring them together in this really like seamless way. This is what I was saying right at the beginning that so much of our values and the way that we do our work is aligned. Like I'm all about love and light and leadership and healing and transformation. And that means that we need to talk about these things that are not Absolutely. comfortable, that may bring up guilt and shame and, you know, real discomfort and make you really examine who am I and who have I been and what do I need to make amends for and atone for and what are the ways that I need to change the way that I'm being in the world so that I can be of best service to people. You can't have the magic and the mystery and the sacredness without all of this as well. You cannot. And you know what's so powerful is when we think about it and we think about this, uh, you know, duality, right? Like of darkness and light. And so much in this culture, there's been this perpetuation of light being like, you know, good and, you right. know, um, you know, ethereal and holy and sacred and dark and pure. being bad, pure, right? Let's right. start with pure, right? Purity, we know that that's been like a ingrained. And then the darkness is evil and, um, 
all the other words, but evil being primary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you know, bad, uh, um, you know, uh, all of those, all of those things that you can associate with, um, you know, defiance, devil, subversive, sneaky, right? Like all right. of those kind of things we think about. And this has also been uh, ingrained. And then we layer on top of that, there are people whose skin is dark, right? Mm-hmm. And so then now we're, so when we think about even our spiritual tools and how we think about uh, how we've been taught to think about darkness and light has also been fraught with um, this lens of duality and, and also looking at um, and layering race, right? And so there are people who we think are highly spiritual or capable of leading us because they look a certain way. Right. And so I think that even in the space, people are like, oh, not even probably aware completely that, oh, this person must be, right? Because she's wearing this and she looks like this. She right. must be, you know, the light, right, that I should follow. And um, and then maybe there's someone who comes in different physical packaging, but you're not connecting to them because it doesn't resonate with what you believe or have been taught to believe purity looks like, right? right. And so a lot of people miss the opportunity to connect to, I think, leaders and, and uh, lessons that would really resonate for them because of the packaging, right? Because, right. oh, this person is black or this person is Asian or this person is whatever. Like they might not knit. They're like, oh, I don't like, they can't see that, right? right? And then I think on top of that, you know, darkness has had this, uh, has been really stigmatized. Um, stigmatized and it's like we need darkness nothing happens without the dark all things grow in the dark right right so we know that we can be thankful for darkness when we have night and we can see the moon and it's becoming full we can see that through darkness we know that in the night we sleep and we grow we know that in the night um a lot of in in terms of birth a lot of fetal movement um, but particularly contractions and a lot of birth work and priming our bodies for birth happens at night, mm. right? All things, you know, and then babies are inside of our wombs in darkness and born into light. This is, this is a very uh, holy dynamic and it is, one does not exist without the other and none of it is bad. And right. when we say that we're living in a dark time, that's also negative because this is not a dark time. There's other words for it, but it's not dark, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to stop using this, the, the layering of blackness, of darkness, of, you know, of these words to codify something with negative because it is not. Because there right. are people who are the light of the world and they have our skin color, right? And so we can't use it. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to like it into that and I think so much of what we teach also is let's revel in darkness let's really look at what's dark and 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 not see it as bad but see it as integrative right, right. And see it as part of what makes us whole and you know what a lot of spiritual work has done is to separate like okay the shadows over here no the shadow is everywhere you go when you walk down the street 
and there's some sun, there's going to be a shadow, right? right? And so it's like, you can't get away from that. And so this idea that that thing that you see outside of yourself is not you or these aspects of yourself that need to be worked on are not you, there's something else. No, that's you too, right? right? So instead right. of, and that's you that needs to do the work that's also part of this workbook, so mm-hmm. instead of seeing it as like, that's not me or that's not who I am or that's something I'm trying to disown. No, let's integrate these parts of ourselves that we don't get to see because they're obscured and let's look at them and unpack them and make them beautiful if they need work. Yeah. So we need to stop. We need to collectively as, as spiritual teachers, you know, gather around what darkness really is and, and reclaim it. And, and not try to just own it because there's nothing that lives without darkness. Mm. And so um, I, need, I need people to understand that. And, and I need us as people um, of color who have always probably had a fraught relationship with this idea of the light and darkness to know that it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or anything wrong with, wrong with anything you've ever practiced or anything that you believe in. It is that we need to see the other side of this conversation that includes us rather than the conversation that excludes us. Because again, when you look at uh, when someone, when there's a binary like this, right, light and dark, and there is a, a culture that only lets you see one side, only lets you see one side, right? There's a reason for that right Mm -hmm. there's a reason that there's only framework for light and that darkness is over here over like oh that's like we don't talk about that right Right. and it's the same thing that we do culturally oh we don't talk about those people or we don't talk about that thing like that you're oh don't bring that up right we are so afraid of feeling what comes with uncovering what's in the dark, what's obscured. That is where your lessons are. That is where your powerful teachers are. That is where the medicine is. Go seek the darkness. Mm. Thank you for that sermon, Latham. (laughs) I love you. Mm, I love you. (laughs) Okay, my love. I love you. Um, Where can people find you? follow you um and i'll make sure i know that with your doula immersion program that you know you have a a full calendar of events so we'll make sure to link that in the show notes but if people just want to find out about your work and follow you where should they go well you can go to mamaglow.com it's m-a-m-a-g-l-o-w.com and then you can go on Instagram, and I'm at Glow Maven, G-L-O-W-M-A-V-E-N. And we also have Mama Glow on Instagram, and you can go there for some juiciness. And if you're interested in birth stuff or just you want more, you know, connection to, um, to the work that we're doing, you can go there as well. And then I guess, yeah, just, you know, um, come, I mean, come find us wherever, wherever you feel tapped in. In Brooklyn, we have a space. Uh, in Williamsburg so if anybody is local or was coming to town I would invite you to check out the calendar if you go to gatherings on mamaglow.com you can see some upcoming gatherings that are really powerful I welcome people from around the globe who bring their wisdom and we can't wait to have Layla come Mm -hmm. Um, I can't wait to 
tapped into her U.S. tour. So, um, so yeah. So just you know, wherever you feel most uh, calls, we would love to receive you. Mm, love that. Okay, my love. Our very last question: What does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? Mm. You know, I'm a mother. I have a son. He says, and I really want for, I think a lot about what it will be like to be a grandmother. Mm. And I do, I, I mean, I don't as, like cause, right? Like I don't want him to have kids anytime soon, but <laughs> I, you know, it's like, I'm not encouraging that, but I, but I do think about like what it'll be when I'm where my mother is or where I'm, you know, like someone who who needs people around to help me and what it'll be like to have the support of your family members. I do think about that because I have one child and I know that it's going to fall on him, right, as the one child. And so what I, what I, what, what being a good ancestor I think for me means is that not only the work that we're doing in this world that um, we are put here to do, we are committed to doing it, but that we're obedient when we do it. Um, and to me, that means, you know, somebody asked me recently, like uh, said, Oh, like I'm passionate about, um, I'm passionate about birth, just like you. And I was like, I don't know if I use the word passion, but I would use the word call. Like right. I'm called, I'm, it's a calling, you know, I think there's a difference between passion and calling, you know, because passion, you know, really is something that, you know, it feels good, right? Like when you're, when something's a passion and there's a lot of things that I'm called to do that I don't feel like doing, right? Mm. It's like, you know, a calling is beyond something that you feel like you want to do. It's something that you are, um, that, that you cannot not do. You know right. what I mean? It's something that you feel um, that is coming through you and speaking through you and that there's no other choice, right? And so, and even when you know that if you could choose, you would probably not choose to do that thing right? That's a calling, right? So it's not just that, because it doesn't always line up that we want to do the thing that we're being called to do. And that's how you know, it's really a calling too, because there are moments where it's like, I would rather be in bed, right. <laughs> or I would rather be on vacation or I'd rather, right? So, right? so I'm called. And that means that, and then, and so when I talk about obedient to the calling, that's what I mean. It means that instead of saying, oh, I want to do this instead, no, you show up, you get up, you wake up, you, you write, if that means you're supposed to be writing, you get up at four in the morning, if it means you're supposed to jot down the entire framework for the me, me and white supremacy workbook. That's a calling. That's obedience to the calling, right? Like you get up in the middle of the night and you frame that entire book and then you serve for 30 days and then you turn it into something that hundreds of thousands of people are going to consume, right? Millions probably by the time it's over with, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So that to me is what good ancestorship is. It's, it's being obedient to the call. It is 
it is really, if you don't feel like you found what it is that you're supposed to be doing, and I do believe that at every different juncture in life that we come up to these portals where we pass through a door and there's something else we're meant to do. And so you might not have passed through that door yet. So I encourage people to find um, in themselves a quiet peace where they can listen for instruction for where they're to head next, because each of us has a call. And so be obedient to the call. That to me is good ancestorship. And then I would say um, another piece is probably exemplified through the support that you get um, when you are on your way to being um, inducted or I should say initiated into ancestorship. I know that we're all ancestors now, right? Mm -hmm. But really when we're on our way, when we're sort of on our way to um, become, right? To like cross this threshold and to be on the other side and be referred to improper, right? Mm. Like who shows up, right? Like what does that look like? When I look at my grandmother, she had all four generations of women that she had given rise to that showed up at her bedside and that had a hand on her Mm. as she made her way to the afterlife. Every single woman that came through her body generationally right four generations and so it's like and she was dressed in this beautiful blue caftan and had gold hoop earrings Mm -hmm. and her head scarf she looked gorgeous yeah I remember to go Mm. to go imagine that so to me that is good ancestorship to have to be able to at your weakest moment call in all of the women that you gave rise to without even saying it, but energetically to call everyone to your bedside and say, I'm ready. That to me is a mark of a good ancestorship, right? Like she was able to, to have everyone, she could, she could see everybody and say goodbye. And, and we could all know that it was okay for her to go and, and to, and to guide us from the other side. And for me to be able to usher her through a meditation as she left was the greatest honor of my life. And so I feel like I'm thankful that I was able to do that for one of my ancestors. And what I would hope that my life will be marked by, um, by obedience to the call and that in service, when it's my time, that there will be my lineage at my bedside and the people who have made up my new lineage um, at my bedside ushering me into the afterlife. I would hope that I live a life that is worthy of that and that is um, deserving of that. Thank you, Latham. And thank you, Latham's granny, for opening and closing this incredible conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that this episode has helped you gain new insights and find deeper answers to what being a good ancestor means to you. 
We'd love to hear what some of your aha moments have been from this conversation. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at at Good Ancestor Podcast. And drop us a comment to let us know what some of your biggest takeaways have been. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a good ancestor.